Lord, we do. We thank you so much for your blood that has covered all of our sin. God, you have made us completely clean. And we rejoice in that, Lord, for none of us. God, none of us deserve to be in your presence tonight. None of us deserve to be ministered to by your spirit through your word. But Lord, you invite us to come. You invite us to rejoice in your presence. And again, I'm so thankful for the precious men and women that you've brought to this place tonight. Lord, may you be our teacher. May you instruct us in your heart, in your mind tonight. Lord, we pray for Pastor Rob as he's uh, sharing at Calvary Chapel Thousand Oaks tonight. May you bless him and minister to him just so mightily as he shares with that church there. Just bless them, um, Lord, as we get blessed all the time. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, speak to us through your word. Tonight we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are coming to the end of our Being Discipled by Jesus series where we've been looking at those passages of Scripture where Jesus, I know you can probably say this with me by now, was not ministering to the multitudes. He wasn't ministering so much to the Pharisees or the scribes. Nope. He was pulling aside those men who were going to change their generation. And we started with the Sermon on the Mount, that, that key teaching where he pours into disciples and he lets them know, here's some kingdom principles, get on that narrow road, stay on that narrow road and live those principles out, not just in some kind of Christian holy club, but in the culture, in the community in which God has placed you. We then moved from the Sermon on the Mount and early on in his ministry, we looked at a few passages in the middle. We looked at John, or sorry, Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus took many disciples and narrowed them down to 12 and he called them apostles and he gave them instructions and sent them out. We looked at Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus took his disciples on a retreat and said, hey guys, who do men say that I am? And they said, ah, you're Elijah, ah, John the Baptist. But Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. And just when Peter started to feel good about himself, Jesus started talking about going to the cross. And Peter said, not so, Lord, not the cross for you. And it gave Jesus a great opportunity to share, hey, you're going to have to take up a cross, Peter. You're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to deny yourself because sometimes being a disciple, in fact, most times, it costs us. It costs us, precious men and women. Well, then we transition, not from the beginning of Christ's ministry to the middle. Now we're at the very end. John 13 through 17. 
where we're dealing with those last words that Jesus shared right before he was going to die for our sins, right before he was going to go be with the Father. And in these last moments, again, Jesus isn't talking about the weather. He's not talking about, you know, the, the festivals that are going on in Israel at the time. No, he's sharing with his disciples six secrets to life in ministry. And we've covered two so far. We've looked in John 13 that he first tells them, hey, greatness is service. We we live in a world where greatness is making more money than other people. Greatness is being the beautiful people, looking better than other people. And and, hey, there's nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with being better looking. I mean, that's fine. But if you want to be great in God's kingdom, what do we know we need to do? We need to learn to be the servant of all. We need to learn to serve. And who's our example? Jesus, who was the greatest there's ever been. But guess what? Took a towel, girded himself, and served the disciples. Last week, we looked at it's not so much how you start, but how you finish. And we saw three disciples. We saw Judas, John, and Peter. And really, all of us can identify with at least one of those guys. At least one. Hopefully, it's not Judas. Hopefully you're not one who puts on a good show and and is really religious outwardly where if anybody would say, is there someone not saved here tonight? If you raise your hand, people would go, Dave, I didn't know Peister wasn't saved. I mean, that would be the, I would would be shocked. So that, you know, if if that's you, it's just super religious. I mean, hey, you know what? You need to turn, you need to turn tonight and you need to give your life to the Lord because it's not so much how you start, it's how you finish. Or maybe you identify with John. John just steady Eddie, going for it with the Lord. Yeah, he had some trouble younger on. He wanted to set some people on fire, but we'll just let that one go. He loved people. He loved God, and God just wanted him to keep going. He wanted him to start loving others. He wanted him to grow. Again, it's not so much how you start, it's how you finish. Of course, most of us identify with Peter, at least I do, where it's like, oh, Lord, I've got such great intentions. Oh, I want to make you so proud of me, and then bam, I fall on my face. And again, if that's more your disciple that you identify with, again, disciples, you need to hear this. It's how you finish. Are you going to stay in rebellion or are you going to run back to the arms of your Lord and Savior and say, God, use me. Do what you need to do in my heart and my life. Jesus is letting his disciples know it's important how you finish. Well, tonight we move on to the third secret of life in ministry, and that deals with Jesus explaining to his disciples why he needed to go. Why he needed to go. And in that, it was a real comfort to a troubled heart. You see, to understand contextually what's going on, Jesus has been letting the disciples know for a while, I'm going to go. This kingdom that you thought I was going to establish on earth, it's not yet. The, The time is not yet. I'm going back to my father. And that created just a little fear in their hearts. What do you mean you're leaving? Why are you leaving us? And a troubled heart is something all of us face one or another time, lots of times in our lives. Let's be honest. We face trouble hearts all the time. Jesus told us, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. We go through trials. Loved ones pass away. People get sick. We have a boss that just loses his mind or her mind. I mean, that's part of life. And part of life is a troubled heart. We face troubles and fears. None of us like change. And the disciples were no different. Why are you leaving us? Why is this okay? One of us is going to betray you. The other one's going to deny you. And you're leaving? How is this even possible? The disciples were in that place. Jesus knew they were emotionally. So he goes on to share with them why he was going. 
And as you Bible students know, I mean, we could take weeks tearing apart John 14, weeks in John 15, weeks in John 16. We could turn this in the next three years going through these four chapters. That's not my intent at all. These guys heard Jesus speak to them. Sure, later when they meditated on his words, there was volumes that they could have received. But what would they have received that night as they were listening to him speak, as he was pouring into them these kingdom truths? I really want us to consider four tonight out of John 14. We could spend weeks, but let's just quickly consider four things. He was ministering to them in their troubled hearts on why he needed to go. The first reason we saw there in the verses we read just a minute ago, and that was he told them, it's good for you that I go because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Look again in verse one. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. I love verse five. Thomas says, no, we don't. We have no idea where you're going, Lord. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus starts and ends this study by telling the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, now, the Greek is emphatic. He's commanding them. You are disciples. You're disciples. You need to not let your heart be overcome by the troubles of this world. It's an emphatic command. Now, of course, we understand that Jesus would have shared it in the most loving of tones. But he's telling his disciples, guys, you cannot let your heart get overwhelmed. But Jesus being the master teacher didn't just give him a command. You're disciples. You're not the world. You're disciples. Don't let your heart be overcome. He then explains to them why. Why their hearts didn't have to be overcome with worry, overcome with grief, overcome with trouble. And his reasoning, number one, he says, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's telling them that a kingdom was not gonna be just set up on earth, but there was a kingdom set up in heaven. And he says, I'm gonna go to prepare a place for you. And friends, to me, there is nothing better. There's not a better cure for a troubled heart than for us to meditate in, to think through and consider the truth. We are going to heaven. Amen? I know it's rainy and cold tonight, but amen? Amen, we're going to heaven. And God has designed this place for you. Don't you often feel like the world has missed it somehow? That you just don't fit? I mean, maybe you think you're the only person that feels this way. That you go through life and it looks like everybody else is just happy-go-lucky and you're the only one on the planet that just doesn't fit. Listen, you're, you're in the boat with all of us. And God says, there's a reason for that. Because you've been made for another place. That place has been made just for you. Just with you in mind. When you think about that, consider that. I mean, if I was designing heaven, my assistant pastor, one of my, my uh, quite a few assistant pastors at Calvary Paris is Christian Sly. Christian Sly grew up here as a high school student. That's when I met him as the high school pastor and, and got to pour into his life as a young man. And he grew up, got married, had kids, and, and, and now he's serving the Lord with me in Paris, Texas. In fact, he was teaching earlier tonight. Such a joy to see a young guy you pour into and now he's assuming responsibilities at the church. But I know Christian pretty well. And one of the things I know about Christian is he, he can't stand cats. I mean, it's not just like 
he like sees one, he's like, ah, and he goes. Now, part of the reason is he's just, just ravisingly, ravisingly, that's a new word. You school teachers can teach that one to your kids. Ravisingly, he's just something allergic to these cats. He, he doesn't like them. So if I, if I was designing heaven for Christian, if I thought, how could I get this perfect for him? It would not look like that. It would not look like that. There is no way, no how. If I was designing heaven for a Christian, I'd think, oh, that's great. That's what I want to do. Now, I've met some people who, that would be ideal. They love cats. That's kind of how their house looks. And so for them, it's like, heaven. But for the rest of us, that's like, no, that's the other place. <laughs> that's the other place. It's not fire. It's a lots of cats. That's what it is. And for Christian, that would be true. And so I, if I was designing heaven for him, that would not be the way I would do it. And friends, God is saying, when he designed heaven, he had you in mind. What your heart has always been longing for. C.S. Lewis once said, there have been times when I think we don't desire heaven. But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. Heaven is the secret signature of each soul. The thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work. You see what C.S. Lewis is saying, I think, and what I know the Lord is communicating, is every experience in our life, there is with it a tinge of unsatisfaction. Like that is good, but it's not exactly what I expected it to be fulfilling in my life. And we've talked about this before, but you know, as you grow up, I mean, you're, you're a kid, you're living under your parents' roof and you just think, oh, this is lame. When I'm out on my own and paying my own bills, life will be so fun and complete. (laughs) Then you are and you're like, Mommy, let me come home. You know, it's like, what was I missing? Oh, man. And, and then you sit there as a single person and you think, oh, this isn't it. I know I need to get married. I need to get married so I will never have another problem every day of my entire life. If I just put a ring on my finger, all my troubles would go away. Oh, now come on. The best marriage in the room, which is my wife and I, the best marriage in the room still still, still has trouble. Still has, so yours has got to be some troublesome. But anyways, the reality is it all has trouble. It all has trouble. And so then you look at each other and you're like, hmm, that wasn't it. I know, we need kids. Kids. If we just had kids, everything, oh. And then you have them and they're sweet. They really are. But they go to the restroom on you when they're little and... They keep you up at night. Then they get older and really keep you up at night. Oh, man. You see, the best things in our life, the best things, our families, growing up and responsibilities, good jobs even, the reality is they're good, but they're not it. And the reason for that is pretty clear, friends. This life isn't heaven. It's not. It's not. You were made for another place. And if you get that in your heart and mind, especially, especially when your heart is troubled and you think, I'm so tired, I'm so tired of sickness, I'm so tired of people 
living in sin and acting sinful toward me. I'm so, so tired of loss. I'm so tired of the way this world is. Amen. Jesus said, I went away, but you know what? I'm coming again to take you where I've been. I'm coming back for you. We are headed to heaven, friends. Number one, he says, let your heart be encouraged because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Secondly, the second reason to encourage them is he wants to give them an opportunity to be used. Look in verse seven. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you don't know, you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves." Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Notice that. Greater works will he do because I go to the Father. Now, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Thomas, after Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas says, Jesus, if you could just show us the Father, we'd be okay. Just show us the Father and everything will be okay. And I can just see Jesus going, Oy vey, what's going on? Three and a half years I've been pouring into you. Come on, aren't you getting it yet? Hey, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I am in the Father, the Father's in me. That's a pretty bold statement of the deity of Jesus Christ, by the way. I know there are those that like to question that. Oh, he wasn't really. Yes, he absolutely was. It is all over the scripture. But even further than that understanding, Jesus says, hey, hey, I want to encourage your heart. I want to encourage your heart, not just that I'm going to prepare a place for you, but the other good reason for you that I go is now I want to do those things, those things you saw me do, touching the sick, ministering to the hurting. I want to do those things in and through your life. You see, friends, it must have been a radical privilege to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, watch him do ministry, watch him, you know, minister to the woman at the well, see him forgive the woman caught in adultery. It must have been amazing to walk with Jesus. But Jesus is now telling the disciples, you've watched me be used by the Lord. You've watched the Father work through me. Now, an opportunity for you, as I go away, I want to do that work in you. Friends, it's how the book of Acts opens. The book of Acts opens by saying the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, notice this, began both to do and teach. Jesus just began a bunch of stuff. I mean, aside from his dying on the cross for our sins, that was finished, complete, you add nothing to that, you understand that. But outside of his work on the cross, Jesus just started a bunch of stuff. He started ministry and his full intention for that generation of disciples and for this generation of disciples is the work of God would continue in our friends, in our neighbors, in our loved ones. God wants to continue the work he started in and through you and me. Do we get it? Do we see it? He wants to do it. So how though? How though? Well, he gives them some insight when he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
Jesus says, how are we going to partner in this ministry? How is this privilege going to come to you that you get to be part of the work? Well, you need to pray. You need to pray, and you need to pray in my name. Now, what in the world does that mean? To pray in the name of the Lord. I mean, sometimes if you're watching Christian TV, (laughs) you get the idea that in Jesus' name are these magic words. That if you say them at the end of anything, you know, it's like obligating God to give whatever your flesh desires. I want the house on the hill in Jesus' name, you know. Oh, okay, you know. I want that gal in Jesus' name. You know? is, that really, is that really what it means? Of course not. In reality, the phrase in the name of Jesus means literally in the nature of Jesus. Or in other words, you see, as I get to know him, I get to know how his heart ticks. I get to know what he wants, what he desires. And then I begin to to pray in the nature of Jesus. And I can have confidence as I'm praying in the nature of Jesus that those things are going to come to pass because they're his heart and his mind. You see, I have no assurance that God wants me to have a million dollars. So I can say all I want, a million dollars in Jesus' name. But I don't know that's the Lord's heart. But if I'm praying, God, my neighbor, please. My neighbor needs you so desperately. God, help me. Help me know how to reach him, how to reach her, how to to have your heart and your mind. Every person you approached, you approached them differently, right where they needed. It was like a cup of cold water to a thirsty man. I don't have that kind of wisdom, God. Help me, help me, help me. When you you pray, God, my, 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 my son, my daughter, he's gone astray. Bring him back. You know what, friends? That's the heart of God. That's the nature of Jesus Christ. God wants to minister to this generation. God wants to minister through you to your family, your friends, your neighbors. That's God's heart. And the great thing is you don't have to figure out how to do it. You don't have to strategize how to get it done. You just need to put on Christ to get to know him and his heart more and more every day. And as you do, you pray in his name. You pray in his nature and you watch God begin his work through you. What a privilege. I mean, it would have been good enough if God had just taken away our sins. That's the understatement of the year. That would have been good enough. Of course that would have been good enough. But God says, don't let your heart be troubled. Hey, I know this world stinks at times. I know it does, he would say. I know it does. I lived here for 33 and a half years. I know. But you gotta know you're going to heaven. And you gotta know before you do, before you do, there is work to be done that I wanna partner with you To see your life mean something for eternity. Friends, it is an encouragement to a troubled heart. I'm going to heaven, but before I do, there's work to be done. Thirdly tonight, the third thing I think an overwhelming lesson he shares with them is the other good reason he was to go, the other advantage to us as disciples is when he went, well, he's gonna send to us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, how do I do that? Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he might abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. 
At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who keeps my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, Judas, not Iscariot, (laughs) that poor guy. How would you like to be named Judas as one of the disciples? What's your name? Judas. What? Oh, no, no, no. Not Iscariot. Anyways. What a bummer for him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm present with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, when we get to chapter 16, we're going to get in a lot more detail about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what the necessary advantage it is as a disciple. But just quickly for understanding tonight, Jesus says, another blessing that I went away is because I went away, I'm going to send you another helper. Another helper. Now, you Bible students need to understand that word another, it means another of the same kind. I point that out because in English, you know, words mean the same thing. Another of the same kind. It's kind of like, I love oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Ladies, write that down. That's important tonight. I love... (laughs) Oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. I do. And now my wife, who makes excellent oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, was to make oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. And, and, and though she said they're for the kids, it does, I'm the husband. So I walk in and I have some oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. I thought they're so good. And I say, I want another. Another. I don't mean I just want another random cookie. Like I want a macaroon or a tofu chocolate chip or one of those nasty animal crackers. Not the good ones. But the kind that we give to the kids, you know, the, the like, the, well, they're, they're, those ones are expensive. But I mean, they're like the, never mind, I shouldn't have said that. Wow, the kids love them. Have you ever, they're, they're, anyways, wow, stick to your notes. Anyways, the reality is when I say I want another cookie, I don't want another animal cookie. I want another oatmeal chocolate chip cookie because that's what I love. I want another of that. And I mention that to you because Jesus is saying, I'm not just sending you another God. Like some different God. See, again, it's kind of a misunderstanding today. What's the Trinity? Oh, they're they're three separate gods. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're three but one. Jesus is saying another part of the Trinity, someone of me, just like me, is going to take up residence in your heart. Three but one. Oh, I know it's confusing. I know it's confusing. And, and, And by the way, if you're confused on the Trinity, take heart. I think I think the Trinity is confused on the Trinity. Now, before you shoot me, before you shoot me, I know I'm tongue-in-cheek, obviously. The Trinity is not confused on the Trinity. But look at verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will be in you. Verse 18 says, and then I'm going to come into you. (laughs) Who's coming into me? Well, again, that's the point. They're three but one. They're three but one. It's Jesus. They're three but one. It's the Trinity. And how does that work in our lives when it comes to God, the Holy Spirit, that part of the Trinity that dwells in the heart of man? Well, verse 17 gives us the first of three relationships, the first two of three relationships the Holy Spirit can have with man. Look at verse 17. 
It says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for the, for the he dwells with you. Get this. He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, the first relationship the Holy Spirit can have with man is he's with you. That word means to come alongside. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is with everybody in the world. He's alongside them saying, hey, hey, you're not right. Hey, you need to give your life to Christ. Hey, they call it their conscience, the little angel on their shoulder. It's the Holy Spirit saying to them, you need to give your life to Christ. By the way, I think that's a radical advantage to you and I when we're sharing our faith. To know that you can be talking to a person who says, I don't need God, I don't need any of that, and they put on their strong face. You can know, oh, I know, that when you're alone at night, laying your head on a pillow, there's a little voice like, you're not okay, you're not okay, give your life to Christ, and you can witness with confidence because that's the first ministry of the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside everyone in the world. Now, when you give in and say, uncle, uncle, I want to, my life is yours. Well, then, as Jesus says, he dwells with you, but then he'll be in you. He takes up residence in your heart. That word in means inside you. And Jesus, that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, now is inside your life. Now Acts 1.8 gives us the third relationship the Holy Spirit can have with man. He's with us. Then as we accept him, he comes in us. But Acts 1.8 says you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples, don't you dare start to minister. Don't you dare go to Jerusalem until, until the Holy Spirit has come, different word now, upon you. And the word upon is an overflowing, controlling relationship. Where the Spirit of God is controlling your actions, your thoughts, the way that you are behaving. And friends, I cannot overstress the point. You cannot minister to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to anybody. You cannot minister in the power of the flesh. It can't be done. You need to be controlled by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Nugget of a verse in Exodus chapter 20, it says this. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. No, you shall go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. (laughs) Why is that a nugget of a verse? Here's why. God's saying, when you build my altar, I don't want you to mess it up. I don't want your own thoughts and ideas. No, no, don't use your own tools on it. And when you're walking on it, wear the right clothing because we don't want to see that. That's what he's saying. I don't want to see any of the flesh. And friends, it's a great point because that's true still today. I don't want me to, to taint the ministry. And that's, that's a tough thing sometimes. It's tough to not let your flesh taint your ministry with your spouse. It's tough to not let your flesh get involved when you're trying to minister to your kids. Oh, our kids. My youngest, my youngest. I picked on Jonathan enough the last few weeks painting with blood on the wall, but we'll move beyond my son. My youngest daughter today, today, we're going back, returning to movie because mom's been gone through three days. So it's movie time when mom's gone for three days. And anyway, so we're taking back the movie and and, and it was just her and I and we're there and, and, and I pull up right in front of the store and I turn off the car and I'm like, okay, I'm just, there's the drop box. Be right back. All right, I mean, it's like three steps. I didn't go in and shop. Don't call 
Child Protective Services on me. It was three steps. So I walked out of the car, three steps, drop, turn around. She's seat belted in my seat trying to start the car. I got the keys because I'm no fool, no siree. I'm going to live to at least 43. But anyways, <laughs> she's in the front seat. Starting, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And she's like, I want to drive. And I'm like, No. No, and I'm like, what? what? And she goes, well, you never told me I couldn't drive. And I said, I didn't, I didn't know I had to lay out everything. Do I need to tell you not to pet a tiger? Like, you know, don't pet tiger. I mean, do I need to, do I need to say everything? I mean, everything? Do I, could that, what? Sometimes, sometimes, it's hard not to let your flesh affect how you minister to your kids, to your spouse. As much as I love y'all, sometimes... That's hard too. Listen, listen. We need Jesus. Your spouse doesn't need you. He or she needs Jesus in you. Your, your kids don't need you. They need Jesus. You don't need Pastor Jason or Pastor Rob. You need Jesus. That's what you need. And so when we minister to one another, the Holy Spirit through us, that's why it's got to be Him. It's got to be in controlling us so we're not tainting it with our tools and exposing our flesh. No, it needs to be him. We need to walk in the power of the spirit. And Jesus says, this is the advantage of why I go. If I had stayed, hey, the Holy Spirit would not have come. But since I'm gone, now the Holy Spirit, another helper is coming to you. And the beauty of that is now you can minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Four reasons Jesus needed to go to prepare a place for them, to give an opportunity to serve, to send the Holy Spirit. Last one and we'll be done tonight. Look at verse 27. He also says it's to give us peace. To give us peace. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let you be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I said, I'm going to my father or my father's greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much of this to you for the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me that the world, the ruler, the, the world may know. <laughs> nothing. That the, <laughs> reading 101, but the world may know that I love the father and the father gave me commandment. So I do arise. Let us go from here. The last reason Jesus says it was important for me to go, disciples, is it's going to mean peace to your life. The word peace or shalom in Hebrew is an important word to the Jewish people. You've got to understand this contextually. It's an important word. It means far more than the absence of hostility or war. That word shalom means wholeness or completeness. And what you need to catch, friends, is The world, the world bases its peace on resources. It does. I mean, if you have enough money in the bank, you're not worried. Of course you're not, because you got enough money in the bank. If I got a bigger stick than you, we're at peace, because the resource is bigger. That's the world's type of peace, but God's peace The disciples' peace is not based on resources, but mainly on relationship. Not on resources, on relationship. I can be at peace because God is with me. 
Isn't that what David said in Psalm 23? That famous psalm we all know well. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I have money in the bank? Because I carry a big stick? (laughs) It's not what David said. He said, because you are with me. You see, again, this world is full of ups and downs, trials and troubles. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And I've got to remember, hey, 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 God is with me. He's with me. He's with me right now. He's with me as I go through these things. And if you see how it fits into the context of our study, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he could only be at one place at one time. If he was in Jerusalem, he was not in Galilee. I mean, he could get there suddenly at the very end, but, but he was at one place at one time. And the reality is now that he's in heaven, and more than that, as he says in John 14, I'm praying for you. In every situation we face, it brings great peace. Not like the world gives. The world, the world has peace based on resources, and those change all the time. It's not an everyday reality. Of course there's peace when everything's okay, but the peace of God which is available to us when even the circumstances of our life are out of control is the reality that I know God is with me. He is for me. He is praying, interceding on my behalf. And so because of that, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You've He says there in verse 28, you've heard it said, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. Jesus starts, how Jesus started this encouragement is the way he finishes. I'm coming back again. What comes up must come down. Now, that doesn't exactly apply to the Lord, but that's exactly what's gonna happen. If I go, and he did, then you can know that you know that you know. I'm coming again to take you where I've been in my father's house, many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, friends, I know, I know that this world is no playground. It's a battleground. And there's trouble around every corner. There's disappointments over every hill. There really is. And I don't mean to be a bummer tonight or, oh, that's encouraging. But that's the truth and you know it. You know it. But you are still called. I am still called in this world, as stinky as it can be. We're called to be disciples and to not let our heart get overwhelmed, to not let it happen. And the only way that's gonna happen is when I realize there is work to be done. There is work to be done So Lord, I'm gonna pray in your name and let that work be done as I know, I know, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. God, work through me as I know that you're with me, God, and I know beyond anything else, you are coming again for me. Friends, no matter what your theological position may be on the rapture of the church, we can all agree on this tonight. We are one day closer to seeing Jesus than we were yesterday. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our king is coming. Are we ready? Are we ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this precious group of men and women who on this stormy night braved the storm to be among us. We do pray for those watching online, Lord, who stayed at home. God, bless your people tonight. And I pray that we would truly let this study go from our heads to our hearts. Lord, none of us are here tonight to play church. We're not here just to sing a few songs and 
listen to a Bible study and feel like we've done something good and made you proud of us. Lord, if that's our heart, Lord, help us. We're here because we know how desperate we are without you. We're here because we desperately want to be disciples. And I know at least for me, I look in the mirror and I realize there's a long way to go. So Lord, I pray that you pour your spirit out upon us, that our flesh would not affect our ministry, that it wouldn't affect our ministry to our spouses, to our kids, to the people you've called into our sphere of influence, as Pastor Rob says so often. Lord, I pray that you would help us to properly represent you. God, when the trouble does come, and it will come, I pray that our eyes would look up not down and not around, but we look up and realize that you are coming again. You're coming again, and that might be tomorrow, that might be tonight, it might be next week, it, it, it could be in generations from now. But Lord, I pray, I pray for myself, and I pray for your precious servants that are here listening to this study tonight, those listening online those that will listen to the study later. I pray that, God, you would help us to take that time that you've given us, whatever it may be, and we would use it fully as your disciples. Not to indulge our flesh. Not to bottom out in depression and self-focus. Lord, may our eyes be upon you. May we be busy about your work with the power and the resources that you have given us, knowing all the while we can be at rest. We can be at peace. Because you, Lord, you are with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much speaking this word into all of our hearts tonight. And I pray, Lord, we live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.